Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Empowering Dietitians podcast, where each week I dive into a specific topic to help you feel more confident and connected to your work as a dietitian. This week, I'm joined by clinical dietitian Sarah Griffin, who is on a mission to empower current and future clinical dietitians to feel more confident in their work. I absolutely love the work that Sarah is doing, since so much of the support for SRDs tends to be focused on RD entrepreneurs. Even with my own work, though most of my clients are not full-time business owners, I specialize in counseling and I don't have a background in clinical. So in this episode, Sarah and I talk all about clinical, how she supports RDs and RD2Bs who aren't feeling confident in their clinical work. We also talk about whether or not health at every size has a place in the clinical world. Now, as a content warning, O words are mentioned in this episode during the discussion of health at every size in a clinical setting, and they are not bleeped out. That aside, there are some really fantastic conversations going on in this episode. So without further ado, here's Sarah. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited that you came on because I always like to have the clinical perspective. It's not something that I talk as much about, but I know a lot of dietitians are still in the clinical space. A lot of the students that listen are kind of navigating whether they're going to go into clinical or not. So I always like to have someone who's in it. Um, who is passionate about it and can share some perspective on that. So for anyone who isn't familiar with you and your work, why don't you give us a little bit of the 411 of who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Sarah Griffin. I currently work as a clinical inpatient dietitian at a hospital in Denver, Colorado. I primarily work in the ICU. And in fact, the last year I've been in the COVID ICU primarily. So I preset many interns. Uh, We are fortunate to work with three, sometimes four interns per year. So we have an intern at our facility almost every day of the year, which is really cool. Um, I think it keeps me on my toes as a dietitian and makes me so much better in my practice. Absolutely. I also teach, oh, sorry. I also teach introduction to nutrition classes at a local community college. And recently I launched the first uh, empowering nutrition course. It's all about nutrition support and it's specifically designed for dietetic interns and even current dietitians who want to transition to clinical or up their clinical skills. Yeah, that's incredible. And I can only imagine what it's been like to work not only in the ICU, but in the ICU during the past pandemic. Um, And I don't know if you feel comfortable sharing anything of what that's been like, but for any of the dietitians or the interns that were supposed to be in their clinicals in the past year, but had to stay home or weren't allowed to be in it, um, what was that like? Yeah, it's certainly been a wild ride. Um, it's interesting now sitting at what I hope is the tail end, at least in our area, we've, we're, we've seen dramatic decreases and we've closed a lot of our COVID ICU. But I think when I, when I think about my experience in the COVID ICU, a lot of it, it's hard to remember specifically because the time was so traumatic for everyone. And I think humanity was just struggling a lot. Um, And so I honestly don't reflect back on it a lot, but what I do remember specifically was the way that our team really pulled together. And it was a really important and very fundamental part of my career 
as a dietitian being so essential in that role and people really recognizing like, oh, we need dietitians. We have to have these people and being kind of called out as healthcare heroes and really being relied on heavily for nutrition support. I mean, we went in the course of like two weeks, we went from maybe two to three intubated patients on tube feeds a day to 12, 14, 15, 16. Ran out of tube feeding pumps, had shortages of formula. I mean, it was really tremendous the way that it started. So our team did a fantastic job and really pulled together really well, but it was a very formative experience. Um, certainly traumatic and difficult in its own way, but the way that we, we pulled together as a team and kind of recognized that dietitians are really important in that hospital setting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think we're going to kind of circle back to that concept throughout this because there is a little bit of disillusionment with clinical in the dietetic space yeah. and to um, hear that side of things where other practitioners are recognizing the importance of it. We're getting elevated a little bit and you are having that sense of community and connection to your work uh, is a really refreshing perspective. It is awful that it took this for that to happen for some of the dietitians out there, but um, it, it is important to show that side of it too. So I appreciate that. Um, and your experience with all of the nutrition support too, particularly in the past year with it increasing so much, is that what inspired you to start the course or did you have inklings of it before the pandemic even hit? That's a funny question. I'm kind of laughing internally because I decided that I was going to build this course in 2019. And it partially came out of working with lots of interns throughout the course of my career and being an intern myself not that long ago, really struggling with nutrition support. I remember learning it in undergrad, but I just, I couldn't review. I didn't know how to review. There was not really many good resources. I mean, you can read a research article, but there's only so much you can get from that until you're really in the hospital. And I would frequently have to teach my students and my, my interns, and I still do, we have to do a lot of remediation work around nutrition support because they come in with very little knowledge even of the difference between enteral and parenteral. Mm -hmm. And that's really frustrating for a student and it's really frustrating for a preceptor because we have to take time away from patient care and interviews and motivational interviewing to sit down and kind of talk through some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So before, even before the pandemic, I had been working on the course and I finished it in fall of 2020, um, which was all kind of a, a blur <laughs> because we had a big peak in COVID during that time. It was kind of a crazy time. But yeah, to your point, I did really get kind of re-energized with nutrition support and learn so much during that COVID period that um, I was able to incorporate a lot of that into my course. Yeah, and, and it's so important. I mean, it was something that I remember I remember liking it. Um, the different calculations don't ask me to do anything now that I'm like so many years removed from it. But I remember liking the process of it, but there wasn't a lot with it. And my internship was at a very small uh, hospital. So I did an ICU rotation. And yes, there were tube feeds, there was parenteral nutrition, but it, it wasn't the same. And I didn't get a lot of hands-on experience. And especially now seeing a situation where so many dietitians were thrown into needing to know about it and needing to really master this, I feel like this is a really important gap to be filled. Um, so I, I really appreciate that this exists. And do you feel like it will help with some of the nervousness that people feel or like the intimidation that some people feel going into clinical? 
Absolutely. And that was really the goal of the course. Ultimately, I'm going to create a, a second course that's sort of a pre-course where I go through major disease states and review that kind of stuff if the student needs review in that area. But yes, the, I mean, the whole purpose of my course is to educate and empower the student. I came into my rotation. I was literally shaking on my first day. I was so nervous. And to that point in my life, I had really never been in a hospital before. I hadn't even visited anyone in the hospital, which is kind of wild to say that, but I was so afraid. I was so afraid to see vomit and blood and see people that were hurting and sick. And it just really compromised my ability to think. Yeah. I knew that I knew a lot of stuff, but when my preceptor asked me a question, I could not think of it. Yeah, well, we get so, in our own heads. Yes. And I see this kind of paralysis with a lot of my students where I know they're very book smart because if we sit down, we talk through stuff, they can tell me the answer. Mm -hmm. But when we get in front of the patient or the doctor, they freeze up. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to fix that in course, but a lot of what I talk about in my course is empowerment. You can do this. You are not going to kill someone with this PN. Yes. You know this stuff. You know how to do the math. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's the key. I mean, that's what I'm always talking about too, is that I know that dietitians know about self-care. I know that they know about these concepts, but to actually really embody it and be able to put it into practice without it paralyzing them. Um, I think that's so important. And I love that this isn't just another course of rote knowledge that, that it's there, you know, you have the skill development, but that you're also kind of this cheerleader on the side that is saying, no, you have what it takes and helping them get through that paralysis. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I also love that you shared that you didn't go into clinical in your internship feeling like this, you know, you didn't start off confident. And um, I think that was one of the questions that one of my followers on Instagram had asked was, you know, were you nervous or how do you deal with these nerves? And um, I know that I can certainly relate, but I'll let you kind of talk to that a little bit. Yeah. So like I said, I was, I was pretty terrified. Um, my preceptors really intimidated me because I just felt like I didn't know anything and they knew so much. Um, and not to discredit my preceptors at all, I think they were fantastic, but it's, it's hard when preceptors view their role as precepting and not teaching. And I kind of came in thinking, oh, they're going to teach me all this stuff and they're going to be my cheerleader and they're going to tell me I can do it. And there wasn't any of that. It was just like, you got to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and so they really pushed me really hard and it was, it was good that they pushed me and that they were hard on me. But I, every day during my rotation, I would write notes of everything I didn't know. Every time they asked me a question, I didn't know it. Every time the doctor or the patient said some word or some term that I didn't understand, I would write it down. And at the end of the day, I would go home and figure it out, learn all the answers and then come back the next day. And I did that for nine weeks. Um, almost every single day I would do that. And so that was an enormous amount of legwork that I did on my own. Yes. But as I progressed through clinical, it made it very clear to me that I didn't want to do food service and community like I came into this program thinking I wanted to do. I loved the fast paced nature of clinical and I found it this like challenge that I had to search after. I need to do this to prove to myself that I can be in this role. Um, and my preceptor at the time was actually leaving. And so after my rotation ended, they, they offered me her job, um, which is kind of a crazy scenario, but I was able to start working before I passed my exam and then have been there ever since. 
That's incredible. And that's also a really important point to anyone out there who is a student um, and is going in with blinders on of like, I know that this is what I want to do. Um, mm-hmm. You might know that might stay the same, but it also might not because it's amazing how much different it is when you're actually in the field mm-hmm. and you're in practice with it. So um, I went in thinking that I was going to hate clinical. Um, and I certainly didn't wind up going the clinical route, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I, I, I really liked the pace of it. I, I also really liked the ICU. Um, my ICU experience was very like calm and quiet yeah. and the chart notes were very thorough compared to everywhere else. So I loved that, um, at least in the hospital that I was at. So if you're out there thinking like, I definitely don't want to do clinical or I definitely do want to do this, like go in with an open mind. You never really know. And if it is something that's clicking, doing things that help you feel a little bit more empowered, like you said, Sarah, is is huge. Yeah, that's so true. And one thing I would just say to interns, um, I had an intern once who told me on her first day, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do clinical. I just have to get through this. I do not recommend doing that. I think it's good to be honest with your preceptor, like, hey, I really think that WIC is where I need to be, or I think I want to do weight loss counseling or whatever it is, but you have to keep an open mind. Um, And the other thing I would say is if your preceptor is not empowering you and you're having difficulty with that, just tell them, tell them, hey, I'm struggling. I'm not feeling confident. I need you to, I need you to tell me when I'm doing a good job. Sometimes we totally forget I think that I'm a great preceptor, but I know that there are lots of areas that I forget. I think something in my head and I forget to tell it to the student or I tell them something and I think that it's empowering, but it actually tears them down. So you just need to communicate with us. Be like, hey, I'm struggling. Can we talk about this? Um, A lot of times it's tempting for us as preceptors to view it as like a teaching scenario and to point out all the areas where you're struggling and like, hey, you have to get better in these 10 areas Mm -hmm. without praising you for what you're doing right. Well, that's something that dietitians in general struggle with. And, you know, all of your, or most of your preceptors are going to be dietitians. So um, one thing that I found with dietitians is that we're very self-critical. And so we're very good at figuring out the flaws in ourselves and we're not very good at praising ourselves and celebrating our accomplishments. And so then suddenly we have students and sometimes if we're not careful or we have a stressful day and we kind of slip out of our, you know, what we know we need to be doing, we're going to focus more on the negative because that's our slant. That's our bias. And for any preceptor out there, this is a really big encouragement to you to say, yes, celebrate your interns wins, but don't forget to celebrate your own because it it helps build the habit of forcing your brain to look at the positives too. Um, And to any intern out there, you have the ability to question your preceptors or say, hey, like this communication style, this learning style, it's not really working for me. Is there something else that we can try? Mm -hmm. And that can be scary because we view the preceptor as like the authority, um, but they're also humans. They're also dietitians and and they want you to succeed. At least most of them do. Yeah, that's so true. It's so tempting to be scared of the preceptors, but we don't be intimidated by us. I mean, we have a lot of knowledge, but we don't expect you to know the stuff that we know. No. So we're human. Get to know us. Talk to us about your life. Tell us your hopes and dreams. We love hearing about that. Absolutely. We're, we're not, most of us, I would say 95% of us are not as scary as we seem. <laughs> so true. And so what has been the response of this course so far? 
So this is a great question, Jess. I have been really very impressed overall with the response. I've, um, as I developed the course, it made it clear to me that there's so many avenues that this course can be used for. It's designed with the intern in mind, but honestly, this course is really fantastic for a new dietitian who's newly in clinical or somebody who is credentialed and looking for a clinical job where you can say, I took this course, you can put it on your resume mm-hmm. um, and tell your employer in an interview that, you know, I know a lot of dietitians struggle with nutrition support. I'm not one of them. I have this great course in my back pocket um, or dietitians. I actually have several students now who are dietitians transitioning into clinical. Yeah. Um, there has uh, historically kind of been this fleeing of clinical into private practice. And interestingly with COVID, I think a lot of that is reversing. I think there's certainly a lot of people who got burnt out in, in the hospital and clinical and are leaving. Yeah. But I think there's also some, and I've talked to several people who realized, gosh, I work for a, a grant funded position and it disappeared during COVID. And so I need something that's more stable. And so they're actually fleeing to clinical jobs. Yeah. Um, and we're, people are recognizing the importance of dietitians. And I, I hope that that will continue and that there, there will be more clinical jobs in the future. Um, and those RDs, it's really a tricky position. If you've worked in Wicker schools for five, 10 years, it's going to be really hard to get a clinical position mm-hmm. because they're going to want to see experience and you have very little. Yeah. So the course is a really great option for you to say, you know, I had these skills at one point, I'm brushing up on my skills and I feel really competent to be able to write a PN or EN order. Yeah, that's a really important point, um, especially, you know, I worked in community for seven years and um, I can say that during the pandemic, our position was all but eliminated. Um, they didn't let go of all of the dietitians, but they weren't working as dietitians. They were working mm-hmm. as something else. And to see that, I, I think that there is a push of like, okay, well, I at least need a job. And what are the jobs out there right now? They're clinical. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the ones that are still maintaining funding. Doesn't mean that I know I have some dietitians that are listening who were in clinical, who were laid off and, and mm-hmm. did feel the impacts of it. But when I look at job postings, when I look at what's, what's open, it is the clinical space. So for me as a dietitian, it's been a dietitian for almost eight years now, and I haven't worked in a hospital capacity since my internship it would be really hard for me. And I would also feel very intimidated and it would be hard for my confidence Mm -hmm. to show up to that kind of interview at this point. So to have something that you can brush up on that you can keep in your back pocket, like you said, um, that's a really important piece of this. Yeah, I do think it'll be really, really important for those folks too. So not only the intern, the new dietitian, the current dietitian, but also schools. So I'm talking to several internship programs that are very interested in purchasing the course for their cohort of students and having them go through it Amazing. as part of their clinical. And I find there's um, there's lots of internships that do a great job of this already. If they're partnered with a hospital or a medical system, they have dietitians from the hospital come in and do lectures on various clinical mm-hmm. topics. But a lot of the distance internships and standalone programs that maybe focus in non-clinical areas, they struggle because they have a lot of students that come in and they may want to do clinical and they're expecting for this like very robust clinical experience. And so that's kind of where I can fill that gap and say, your students can go through this entire course. It's about 40 to 80 hours of work. Part of it can even count for dietetic internship hours. 
and then they can really hit the ground running when they go to the hospital. Absolutely. And I can relate to that. I had a, what is considered a heavy clinical internship in that mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in clinical. So I had like an eight or nine month clinical rotation. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, it was, it was the majority of it. Um, and, but at the same time, like, I mean, our classes were just taught by our internship directors. They weren't taught by dietitians who were in the field practicing that. Um, so I didn't have anything like that. And I feel like it would have improved my my skill set tremendously if I had had a little bit more training going into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And now, you know, I know that you spoke a little bit to the fact that dietitians for a while were fleeing clinical towards mm-hmm. private practice. And, and I spoke to Stephanie Schwartz from that dietitian life about yeah. this a little bit um, last year and how for a really long time, clinical was considered like the top of the totem pole for dietetics. Mm -hmm. Like you were cool and superior if you were a clinical dietitian. And now it kind of seems like the hierarchy has reversed a little bit that like, you know, the only quote unquote right way or the quote unquote best way to be a dietitian is to be in private practice. And we're seeing clinical dietitians almost put down a little bit. And that breaks my heart, even though I'm not in clinical, you know, we all have important jobs. And I was hoping that you could kind of speak to how you feel about working in clinical, maybe shed a more positive, uplifting light and any tips that you might have for someone who is experiencing frustration with clinical. Yeah, I'm so ready to talk about this because I love talking (laughs) about this. Uh, so this is what I will say. I, I came into the career field knowing that I wanted to do clinical, at, at least when I was credentialed, I knew that. Got a job day one, which is unusual and very unique. Felt very underprepared. Definitely had imposter syndrome for a while. Um, I hesitated to go to my coworkers and ask for assistance or, or advice because I didn't want them to know that I didn't know something. So it was very challenging coming into a space where the two other RDs had been there for at least five years and they really knew the hospital, they knew everything. And I was kind of like starting fresh. So I would say at the beginning, at least for the first year, maybe year and a half, I definitely struggled. I spent a lot of time educating myself. I watched a ton of webinars. I did a lot of uh, free work on weeknights and weekends just trying to fill those knowledge gaps. I don't know enough about diabetes. I really don't know enough about ostomies. I have to learn about this. And as time went on, I realized that I still have all this knowledge, but my my big issue and the reason that I wasn't super happy in my job was because I didn't feel like I had good relationships with the providers. And this may just be my hospital. I suspect it's not, but in my hospital, the dietitians work in the basement in a room that nobody ever sees. Yep. They don't know where we are. And um, previously, now we, we have texting. So we're able to text the doctors. Before that, it was paging. So in order to communicate with the doctor, we'd have to page them, ask them to call us back and wait till they call us back. That was very disconnected, okay. right? So maybe twice a day for five minutes, you're talking to a doctor. They never see your face. Mm-hmm. We would chart on our patients, we'd go up and see our patients, and then we'd go hide in our office and finish our notes. And I didn't actually do this intentionally. I did it because I had 
real, uh, severe dry eye and the, the light in my office was really aggravating it. So I went upstairs on the, the floor and I started charting with the doctors because there was like this beautiful picture window that looked over the mountains yeah. and there was natural light, which really helped my eyes. And so I started doing that um, probably like a year and a half in, I want to say, and it was remarkable. Like overnight, mm -hmm. I could see the difference oh, who are you? They always thought I was some specialist because they didn't know who I was. <laughs> yeah. And I, we wear lab coats in our hospital and the doctors usually just dress business casual or scrubs, but a lot of the specialists will wear lab coats. And so a lot of times they thought that I was like GI or psych or something, but it really opened the door to these beautiful conversations with my providers and be like, I'm a dietitian. Do you want me to see anybody? Do you want to talk about anybody? Um, every time there was a new hospitalist, which is kind of like the doctor of the day, mm -hmm. um, every time they hired a new one, I would make a point to go and meet that person and say, I'm the dietitian. Here's my card. Here's how you consult us. Here's how you spell dietitian, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And I, I just formed these really beautiful relationships with these providers. And to this day, I still spend a lot of my day on the floor because I realized lots of other professions like speech, PTOT, they spend a lot of time on the floor. They talk to the nurses in person. They talk to the doctors in person. So why are dietitians hiding in their office and feeling like we're under underappreciated? Well, go up and meet people in person. Yep. Um, that was a little, it got a little tricky during COVID because there was not as much in-person stuff available. But that I spent the last, I would say, three and a half years really working on that project. And it's kind of just been second nature to me now. I spend a lot of time on the floor. I always talk to the doctors. Every single time I go up there, they ask me to see one of their patients or we, we check in about somebody in person. Yeah. And I really, they just, they, the value that they have for, for our profession and our department now, I think is just exponentially increased because they physically know who we are mm -hmm. and they know that we do a great job and they know that if they ask us to do something, we're going to take care of it. Yeah. And this is a really important conversation. I hope that all of my um, group participants are listening because I had a, a group call with my mastermind or, or one of my masterminds and they were talking about struggling with interdisciplinary communication and like mm -hmm. feeling intimidated talking to the other providers or having conflicts with the providers. And we were saying like, you have to get to know them and they have to get to know you. And, and that might feel scary, but we went over some tips. So anyone listening who feels that way, um, I think that's a really important shift to make. And it, it can do a, a big, um, it can be a big shift, I guess I should say, to actually feel connected to the people that you're working with. That's incredible. Yeah. And what I will say too is, you know, I've only ever worked at this hospital as a dietitian. And so I know culture is very different. Yes. Specifically at my hospital, I think it's a lot more laid back than perhaps other places. Um, the layout of my hospital is such that there is a charting room on every floor behind the nurse's station. Mm -hmm. That may not be the case everywhere. Maybe the doctors aren't on the floor. I don't, I don't know the case of other hospitals. Um, I will say that there have been comments made like, why are you charting here? But um, It says doctors charting, you're not a doctor. But in that case, um, besides that, I would say, they don't really care. They want yeah. to get to know you. They're humans. We talk about what you're doing on the weekend, buying a house, skiing, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, I think really just breaking down that barrier and realizing they're not scary people. They really aren't. Yeah. They may seem intimidating when you enter the room and the doctor's there and they're like, hey, come back. I'm talking to them. Yeah. But when you really get to know the doctors, they're, they're not scary. And so 
having those relationships, I think is very natural. It is. And, and that was something that Stephanie spoke to, too. So if anyone hasn't listened to that episode, go back, I'll link it. Um, but she was saying that the culture of the hospital that you work at is a big thing. So if you, if you try all of this and you still feel like it's not right for you, maybe it's not that clinical isn't right for you. Maybe it's that that hospital isn't right for you or that specialty on the hospital. Maybe you're not an ICU dietitian. Maybe you are an ICU dietitian. Um, so being able to play around before we write it off completely. Absolutely. And um, hopefully this is a nice segue into our next topic. Um, <laughs> but one other thing I just wanted to mention is having these conversations with these doctors has really opened the door for me to talk about weight bias with these providers. Um, not something that I ever thought was going to be the case or went into it thinking that, oh, I'll be able to talk about their weight bias <laughs> and all of the things we uncover in these conversations. But it just really opens the door because I have these professional relationships with them and I can really talk to them and be like, oh no, you don't get to say that about that person. Yeah, that's huge. And that was one of the questions that um, my followers asked was, you know, especially with more dietitians moving into a weight inclusive space, a health at every size space, an intuitive eating space, um, it can feel like clinical is at odds with that. And, you know, how do you go into clinical and work in clinical if you hold these values? So it sounds like you have to some extent been able to infuse some of these weight neutral or weight inclusive values and principles into your work as a clinical dietitian. Yeah. And I think my approach to that is a little more unconventional or no nonsense, if you will, because I am not afraid to tell them off. Um, and I know that that comes with time and experience and the confidence and you have to kind of be in the role for a while. But I do really think that we have a right and an obligation to do that. Um, I have had in the past providers refer to our, my patient as a whale and um, maybe not in that particular moment. Is that a good time to talk about that in the middle of rounds? but it's certainly something that we can talk offline about. Um, I've advocated for early enteral nutrition and the doc says, well, she's pretty fluffy. So I think we can hold off a few, few days, right? Mm -hmm. And so that may or may not be the perfect moment to dive into that, but there certainly are opportunities that I've taken and say, this is not about the patient's weight. This is about preserving lean body mass and preventing muscle wasting. And we know that early enteral nutrition is vital in the ICU, particularly hypocaloric, high protein feeds for obese patients. Um, part of our code of ethics as dietitians is to advocate for a unique role as nutrition professionals. And I don't think there's really a better way to do that than standing up for your patient when nobody else is. Absolutely. And I think that's so well said. And, you know, it's also important to remember that if you feel like you don't have the confidence to say it in that moment, mm -hmm. sometimes we think like, oh, if I don't say it now, I can't say it. And mm -hmm. that's not true. Not only like you said, is it sometimes better to wait, but that if you just need to give yourself a little pep talk or like sort through your thoughts and like pump yourself up to have the conversation, you can go back. And I've had this conversation with dietitians before and you say, Hey, you know, when you said that earlier, like, this is how it made me feel, or this is what it brought up for me, or I wanted to have a conversation with it. Is, is there a good time to talk? Mm -hmm. You know, there are different ways that we can 
phrase it and depending on how assertive you feel and what your personality type is and the personality type of the person that you're talking to can inform how you bring it up but you don't have to do it like right in that moment and like be the strong advocate that's constantly like pouncing on every little Mm -hmm. phrase that someone says Um, so you can still advocate for what you believe in Um, and it, it sounds like there is a space to some degree for like intuitive eating, at least weight inclusivity and challenging some of the more overt forms of weight bias in a clinical setting. Absolutely. Um, you know, I definitely see the concern of people if if they are more in the, the haze space and things like that, going into clinical seems kind of like selling your soul to the devil. But I honestly think that if you kind of flip the script and think, I may be the only person who has ever in rounds stood up for an obese patient Mm -hmm. because the culture here is that we laugh about it and that needs to change. Um, So being brave enough to say that thing that one time, it will never happen again. They will never say that comment again if you you tell them out. Um, And I also think that maybe that's the only experience that the doctor has ever had where somebody said, this is not okay. Because we know that doctors don't get inclusive weight training and weight bias training. And when they talk to each other, they can say comments like whale and fluffy, and that's positively received by other doctors generally. But so maybe I just think of it as if I was the only person that maybe this today or this week said something positive about an obese patient, hopefully, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe down the road, it will change that doctor's perspective, even just shifting it slightly. Yeah. And I think that that's really the best that we can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, it, it takes a little bit more energy. Um, we have to always protect our advocacy energy, because if you're working in an environment that is not set up to be weight inclusive, then you're going to be fighting an uphill battle kind of regularly. And you have to know when to conserve your energy. And that can be hard on you mentally and emotionally. So it's not to say that everyone should go into clinical if they're passionate about haze because it's the right thing to do and we can change the system, but there also is a place for it. Or if you're in clinical because you have to pay the bills or maybe you like pieces of clinical and you're doing it PRN or per diem or or something like that. And then you also have a practice on the side or working in community on the side. And you do that because that's what is financially secure or whatever, that's okay. I think mm-hmm. some dietitians feel like um, they're guilty or they're doing something wrong if they're working in an environment that is more weight centric. Um, yeah. They hold that value. So to understand that you can work in that environment and you're not selling your soul, you know, you do the best you can with what you've got. Sometimes there will be learning opportunities and it is important that we have these conversations in these spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, the way that I think about it, and I know that not everybody shares this perspective, but I think about it as if I was in a Hayes hospital, I don't know if that exists, maybe, or a, you know, weight inclusive kind of space, I wouldn't be changing anybody's perspective because we all are on the same page, right? Mm -hmm. In clinical, you are constantly breaking down walls. And even if I only change the perspective of one doctor in my entire career, that's huge because how many weight comments do doctors make about their patients, even to their face or to somebody else? One doctor, I mean, that's an unbelievable amount of 
uh, positivity that you can bring into that that career. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, yes, I'm an intuitive eating dietitian. I am um, pretty far on the, the haze spectrum. Um, but I welcome all dietitians to this podcast, to my page, because we have to have the hard conversations. If I only put myself in an echo chamber of people who agree with me, then I'm never challenged and they're never challenged. So, you know, being in, in a place that does challenge you and that if you have those established relationships with the providers to begin with, um, you know, it's not going to work as well if you just go in and the person doesn't know who you are and you start criticizing their language, but you, you've taken the time to establish the relationships and then you can have the hard conversations and you can make a really big difference. Absolutely. Um, I, I say this a lot. I, every time we get a, a weight loss consult in the hospital, I view it as an opportunity for me to educate the doctor. <laughs> I very rarely talk about weight loss with my patients, but when they consult me for weight loss on a bariatric patient who hasn't tolerated food in six months, this is a fantastic opportunity to go educate the doctor mm -hmm. about why it's not appropriate and what I plan to talk about in that conversation, how I'm not going to talk about the number on the scale. Amazing. Amazing. And for anyone out there who is wondering, I have known dietitians who um, work in a clinical setting and most of the dietitians are haze aligned, are kind of intuitive eating slanted. Um, and so it's not that the whole hospital is, but they have support. So it is out there. And I think increasingly so that's becoming more common that dietitians are at least interested in learning more about it. So you get a little bit more support. Um, and I appreciate having that perspective because I think we sometimes think like, oh, I can't go into clinical or I can't, I only have to go into private practice if I um, am passionate about these topics yeah. and that's not true. So I, I appreciate that. And are there any other like last minute thoughts that you want to throw in to our listeners about clinical, about your course or anything like that? Yeah, I guess just to say about the weight loss, I, um, you know, you had asked me that question to kind of reflect on beforehand what, I, what I do about weight. And the one thing I did want to say was I, I really do not talk about weight with my patients, weight loss specifically. Mm -hmm. um, you always have to ask the question, have you lost or gained any weight? We have to put that in our note, et cetera, et cetera. But I really don't find it appropriate to talk about weight loss inpatient. We only get about 15 minutes and patients only remember about 60% of what their doctor tells them. I'm sure for dietitians it's lower, although who knows. Um, so I'm really not gonna spend precious time reminding them that they have to lose weight but I am interested in focusing on foods that can help their disease state and help them feel better and talking about physical activity and how they can enjoy their cultural foods. They don't have to eat like a white person to be healthy. I think the time is so much better spent talking about that. So I just flat up refuse to talk about weight loss. Um, sometimes when I get those consults, I will tell the doctor what conversations I'm planning to have or what conversations I did have but I, I will not talk about weight loss um, for those reasons. And also because I personally have never had to lose weight in my life. I benefit from thin privilege. Yeah. And I know lots of dietitians who do an excellent job with weight counseling, even if they've never been on a weight loss journey. But for me, it's just, it's never gonna be my niche or an area where I feel confident to practice. Yep. And acknowledging that is important and saying like, you know, you don't necessarily have to label yourself a Hayes dietitian in order to put weight loss on the back burner in order to focus on other things. And, and that can be a really important thing. We don't have to dichotomize and make ourselves into like labels or fit into neat little boxes either. 
Excellent. Um, and so I, I really love this conversation. I really appreciate you bringing it in because clinical is not a perspective that I can talk expertly about. So it's really important that everyone hears from amazing dietitians like you. And I love that you're empowering the clinical side of things as well. So if someone is listening to this and they want to learn more, they want to buy the course, they want to talk to their program about the course, how can they connect with you and learn more? Yeah, great question. So I do, I do have a website, which I can send to you to link. It's yep. edge-clinical.com. And you can also find me on Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, I would say Instagram is probably the best because there's more interactive things. I post little quizzes and, and things like that that you can interact with on my story. Um, and then you can always reach out to me through my website and send me a personal email. Amazing. And I will link all of those. So thank you, Sarah, for joining me today. I absolutely loved having this conversation. Of course. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowering Dietitians podcast. If you enjoy these episodes, it would mean the world to me if you could share it with your dietitian friends. And if you listen on Apple Music, leave a rating and review. This helps the podcast reach more dietitians so that we can really create a collective of dietitians who feel confident and connected both to their work and each other. You are not alone. And as always, if you're looking for that extra level of support, check out my Empowering Dietitians Supervision Services at www.empoweringdietitians.com supervision.